everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, this show is one where me and Dayton just kind of sit down and BS for a little bit, took a bunch of questions. There's actually a lot of real good uh, Q&A going back and forth. I'm driving down the road with my family right now recording this intro, so if you hear some background noise, that's what that is. But before we start the podcast, got to thank some of my sponsors, the first one being Exus Outdoor Gear. Now until August 19th, they're running Velvet Fest campaign. That's right, Velvet Fest. Um, so every order you uh, place, every camera order you place on their website comes with a scratch-off card that can save you 15 to 25% off your next camera or the MMT Arrows. Um, also, you got to go on their website, sign up for their newsletter, and they will give you uh, exclusive Velvet savings uh, will be announced on their newsletter. So get on there and sign up for that. Use hashtag VelvetFest on your social media to win prizes uh, throughout the online event until August 19th. And people that are using the, the hashtag VelvetFest will be uh, will have a chance to win you some Exodus gear that they're going to be sending out throughout the uh, event. So pretty cool deal there. As always, visit XSOutdoorGear.com, get you some trail cameras or the new MMT arrow. They got some cool shirts on there too. So I uh, also want to thank Stealth Outdoors. Lou and the crew at Stealth Outdoors make the best silencing material on the market. Whether you're a mobile hunter or walking to a box blind and setting over a food plot type of hunter, uh, he has a product for you. So go to stealthoutdoors.com and get you some stealth strips. My favorite product is their buckle silencers. Uh, I love those things. Visit stealthoutdoors.com. Finally, got to thank Hunting Beast Gear. Um, obviously, Dan's been great to me, and so has my uh, Beast Gear setup. I love the new mini sticks I just got in. Uh, they're super light, tolerances are super tight, and also their stand for the size is still the best deal on the market as it, when it comes to weight to uh, size ratio. So go to huntingbeastgear.com and get you a Beast Gear setup. All right, let's get into the episode. Hey everybody! Welcome hey. back to the show. Hope everybody's doing good tonight. It's a hot one here today. Is it hot up in Wisconsin? It rained all day. Just the oh, sun really? came up a while ago. Yeah. And I spent the day at a Honda dealership getting my uh, my CRV had a recall on it, so I'd take it up there and get the airbags fixed on it. Hmm. And that was fun. Not nearest Honda dealership's an hour from my house too, so kind of made a day out of it in this in Bloomington, Indiana, but I'm, uh, working on turning into a little hunting vehicle. I got a bed built in the back of it and storage compartments and all kinds of things going on with it. Figured with the uh, gas prices, the way they are this year, a little SUV that gets 25 miles a gallon wouldn't be a bad idea to drive around. So I'm trying to video it all. It's kind of, it's kind of a, a little bit hard to video that kind of stuff, but I think people will get will get a uh, kick out of that. A lot of people like to do that kind of thing with their vehicles for hunting season. Yeah. But yeah, uh, so got quite a few people on already uh, tonight. So I was going to go ahead and do my spiel here. Um, we're me and Dan are just going to BS for a little bit, and then we'll probably just do a whole bunch of questions and answers again tonight. I'll drop the link to get into the show um in the chat here in a little bit just make sure you're 
um, you're in an appropriate spot because you'll be on camera when you you hop on here and uh, be polite to everybody. Um, also, the sticks, I'm going to give those away at the end of the week here. Um, we're really close to 4,000 subscribers, so I want to I want to make sure we hit that at least 4,000, uh, and then uh, then I'll draw. I'll probably go uh, go live sometime during Deer Fest and give them away, uh, which is uh, this weekend up in what West Bend, right? Wisconsin, yep. Dan. That should be fun. So, yeah, yeah, we're all going to be up there, and we'll probably we're gonna we thought about doing a podcast or something while we're up there. Um, internet providing good internet. Yeah, everybody uh, should we'll, stop by, hang out. Yeah, yeah. I've I've never been up there, but everybody that uh, has always tells me it's a it's a good time. It's a good event. You guys have you've been going up there for years and years and years, right, Dan? Yeah, I, I've been up there most years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, you don't get uh, any COVID going around this year. Oof. You just got over it. Yeah, Carol's got it now. <laughs> yeah. Um, is that the one, is that where, was that where they thought Dave got COVID last year? Was that the deer fest? Yes. Yeah. Half the people in our booth got COVID at the deer fest last year. I said, I thought, I thought they did, but. And, um, unfortunately, uh, Dave, uh, didn't make it. So. Right. Actually, the last time I saw him alive was at that show. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't seem like this one's as bad as it was even a year ago, but. No, I mean, uh, really, um, I would have almost not even known I was sick. So I woke up uh, last week, Monday, and uh, the back of my neck was swollen inside, like up like where your tonsils would be or something. It wasn't bad. It didn't hurt or anything. It just felt weird. And I went to work and uh, worked all day, and I just had this slight amount of uh, congestion in my uh, back of my throat. Uh, but nothing bad. And uh, the next morning I woke up and I had a little lightheadedness, you know, but not bad. I mean, it wasn't really, I mean, a headache would be worse. Yeah. But there's there some people at work that had COVID. So I thought, well, I got all these test kits that uh, the government taxed me for and then sent, uh, sent me. So I might as well test myself. So I was surprised when it came back positive. Yeah. And now, you know, um, four or five days into it, Carol starts getting sick, you know, just as I'm coming off of it. Right. Right. Now she tested positive. So it's not really that bad. I mean, um, now she's having a harder time, but she's got underlying issues. Right. Um, I mean, uh, COVID the first round almost killed her. Right. You know, put her in the hospital, you know, it was pretty bad, but, uh, so we're hoping that (laughs) this is a little easier on her. Right. Yeah. Well, hopefully she hangs in there. I'm sure. Um, for me, it was sure a week off. Right. Yeah, you know, if it wasn't for getting her sick. I think this is great. You know. Yeah. Now and I got a lot of videos up. Um, yeah. So you've been pumping out the content. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Planting food plots. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about. <laughs> <laughs> That's where the uh, thumbnail came from. We'll probably tell that story later on in the podcast, but. Uh, yeah, it's a pretty pretty funny. Story. Well, it probably wasn't that funny whenever it was happening. It's one of those no. stories that are funny afterwards. <laughs> after it's done. <laughs> oh man, what uh, what kind of scouting did you get into while you're off work? 
or sick. I want to check out a lot of spots. Some spot, uh, you know, like one of the spots I've been to, uh, used to hunt it like 15, 20 years ago. Um, went back there, rechecked it out. And um, last time I was in there, they, we didn't have the mapping tools we have nowadays. Yeah. So I was able to real take a closer look at land borders and stuff and get into some stuff that I didn't get into last time because I wasn't real sure land borders with paper maps and stuff. So I got into some good stuff, um, some stuff that was pressured that we can kind of write off and some stuff that was good. And But I checked out a lot of new properties. Um, I still got some, I got to check. There's always some you got to get to, you know. And I still got to get a bunch of Exodus cameras set up. Um, so trying to run around and get everything done. Yeah. Always busy. Need another positive test here in a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, I'll get another vacation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of the, the trail camera thing, did you got any updates on that at all? Or I know. No, I, I got, I got um, another spot. I'm going to get my uh, camera out there. I haven't had a chance yet. Uh, and then I got some more cameras coming in. Like, uh, I don't know, I think around six or seven of them that, uh, and uh, Exodus is going to come over. Um, his name's on the tip of my tongue. Oh, um, Cameron. Cameron. Cameron's going to come over. I I'm thinking if we can if we can arrange times, he's going to come over and set him up with me. Um, so I have his expertise on setting them up correctly. Um, because obviously they've uh, learned some lessons about trail cameras, and I'm not uh, um, so big-headed to think I know everything. Yeah. So um, I do have some really good spots I want to set those cameras up in. Um some of them, if the target buck gets on there, I'm not going to show them till after season, probably. Um, yeah. Because uh, the target buck, like in one case I'm thinking of, is so big and identifiable that people will recognize and they'll know I'm onto it and they'll have issues. Um, but we will have results at some point. Right. Especially if I kill it. Yeah, and I don't think, I mean, even with the, uh, the results, you'd, I mean, you don't have to know how big the deer is necessarily to have good information. Right. You know what I mean? Right. You know, we can talk obvious. about the results. We can talk, you know, um, and if it's, if it's, you know, you, you know, on just good big deer, we'll show them. I mean, that's, that really sucked about uh, the first spot I had a camera out on. I actually put two cameras out. I actually got a camera out now too, but it's not uh, the cell cam party working mm -hmm. on it. That's what happens when you don't use Exodus. Um, <laughs> So I got to check a card on it and hopefully I still have it, you know, based on things. But I got one camera out for 10 days and we really, um, it was a huge bedding area. We circled the bedding area and uh, the bedding area is probably, let's say two acres, you know, maybe even a little bigger. We're, we're the majority of um, big bucks bed in that particular public land. And there's other, there's dough bedding mixed in there and stuff. And it's just a big area, bigger than normal. Usually it's like a quarter acre, the bedding areas. This one's particularly big and it has a lot of exits. And I, I put the camera on a main exit, um, crossing a creek onto private land. And um, I didn't get any, I got one picture of a doe and fawns coming in and they're staring locked at the camera. Um, like a few days after I put the camera up, like a week, I think. And then after I hit about 10 days, I finally got a picture of a 
pretty decent buck walk out of the bedding area um, towards the private field. And the very next picture is the next day is a guy walking past. And then the next picture after that is him coming back off of the private land where he ain't supposed to be staring at the camera, you know? Right. And uh, um, I don't know if he went on the private land or not, but I mean, that's the direction he went. But he came back and he's staring at the camera and then the camera got shut off. So I didn't, I, I was in bed with COVID. So I didn't check it immediately when the, 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 the picture sent. Yeah. And I checked it the next morning and then I saw that uh, guy on and I checked the camera and uh, saw it was disabled. So I, uh, I ran out there and checked and uh, you know, I, I, I checked the tracks and stuff. There's one set of tracks out there um, where the guy was standing walking around. I mean, it's a real muddy area. And then um, I checked another uh, camera I had out there and that one, the card was missing the card was missing on the cell cam. And then the guy had walked out in a way I tracked him down and he walked in front of another camera that wasn't mine. I took the card out of that and I checked it and he was walking past that or actually running past it. Um, the time frame from when he left the, the camera, that cell cam to when he went past the other camera was really quick. And in the picture, you see him kind of running. Right. So I don't know. Um, the warden has some leads. Um, he's been interviewing a couple of different people. Um, I gave him some information I had, um, a couple of people called him and, uh, we'll see what comes of it. I, th I think, uh, I think they'll get to the bottom of it. Um, and I just think that you have to pursue those things because you, you know, when everybody across uh, Jefferson County sees that they're all, you know, in the video that I put out there, which is, I mean, in a few days, it's already got 60,000 views. Right. I think it makes everybody think about, you know, being honest. Um, and, uh, the, um, the subjects he's interviewing, I mean, I told them straight out, uh, each of them that, you know, if you took it, give me the cards back and apologize and, and tell me, you know, I got flustered that you're hunting in the area I'm hunting or whatever. And I'd let it go. I said, it right. and, uh, uh, each of them just said that they didn't take it. So, um, we'll see where it goes from this. There's, there is a little bit of uh, strong evidence leaning a certain way. So uh, the warden actually told me he's pretty convinced that uh, there could be a ticket written out of this, you know, so we'll see, we'll see where it goes. Um, I can't say too much about it because I don't want to impede on his case and it's really right. not even in my hands anymore. I just told him to do whatever he feels is right with it. Right. And, uh, you know, um, kudos to him. In the past, um, a lot of wardens um, would tell you the same things the police would tell you. You know, it's like a, it's it's two ten dollar cards, man. You know, you're wasting our time, kind of thing. Right. But really, if you don't pursue those things, they grow. And, and it ain't just the theft. I mean, um, now I'm a pretty easygoing guy, but you get a lot of guys. I mean, somebody steals the cards out of their camera, so they they get an idea in their head. They think they know who it is. You know, like me, I got a picture or maybe I don't have evidence that it's that guy, but I think it is. So right. then I see somebody that looks like him get out of a car or I set a trail cam over there. Then you're over there slashing your tires or smashing the windows out of the car. Then that guy gets angry because maybe it's not him. 
or maybe it yeah. is, but he gets angry and it escalates and turns into this big war. And it's better to just have the law, just enforce the law and take care of it that way. And really, I think when I think a person thinks he's not really doing much damage when he takes somebody's cards, because otherwise, I mean, he could have literally took the cameras. Yeah. Now with the Exodus, I'd have tracked him down if he turned it on, but right. they, they, they could have uh, taken the cameras um, and they didn't. So I think they think that they're doing something like either they're keeping me from knowing they were there or, or they're, uh, say, they're in their mind. They're thinking, well, you know, I don't want him to see the bucks that are out here or something. And maybe they're justifying it in some way, but it's still wrong and it still makes anger and people get mad at each other. Yeah, and sure. as much as we should get along, I mean, when I run into somebody in the parking lot, if uh, they ask for tips and stuff, I usually give them to them. Now, I'm not going to tell them where my best spots are, but I'll help get on deer, you know? Right. Um, we're all in this together. It's not a competition. That guy doing good makes me feel good. Right. You know, he's a hunter. He's a fellow hunter. I mean, it's like, it's like uh, when you're at work, do you uh, really hope that your coworkers do bad so you look good? No, you help your coworkers. You want them to do good. You want them to perform well. Right. You know, and, and makes everybody's life easier. Competition. Right. But people, yeah. a certain a certain number of people in the hunting community think this is some sort of competition. You know, like we're all in this against each other, you know, like mm -hmm. to, to be top dog, you know. Yeah. And you mentioned like the guy just stole a, a $10 card. It's like, well, not really. I mean, your time's worth a lot there. He took however many hours of your time away that you spent, you know, going out there and putting those away. That's trash now. And then, and then on top of that, all the data you were going to get from it. What if, you know, I, you know, right. that's, I don't even know what data for you. I on the other camera for 10 days because the card's gone. Right. Uh, especially for you, you know, what you were going to do with that camera, it's part of how you make a living and all that. I mean, part of the study is part of how I live. Yeah, I could literally yeah, yeah. sue a person like that for doing that. I could yeah. sue him because he's damaging my business and my income. Because literally, I make an income off of right. YouTube videos and stuff. So I could sue him for that. Now, I probably wouldn't do it over cards like that or something, but no, you, you know, but holding people accountable for, for their actions is a good thing. Ain't no different than if your kid did something wrong. I mean, I remember when uh, my kids were little, I mean, real little, we went into the, to a store at a, um, at a, like a, a visitor place, you know, like a high profile place, Wisconsin. Yeah. And uh, I mean, junior, he was like six years old or something. And when we come out of the store, he had, uh, I mean, we had gotten all the way back to our campsite or something and, here he had uh, taken some um, shiny stones they were selling there, you know, like, yeah. like rocks. Yeah. You know, and uh, I mean, they were like 10 cents a piece in a bowl and they didn't guard them very well because they're a bowl of rocks. Right. didn't make it right. He took those rocks. So I packed them in the car. I drove them back there. I made them give them back to the person and apologize. You know, that's the way we have to do things. I mean, people have to be held accountable when they do something wrong. It doesn't mean a six-year-old kid really knows he's doing something that wrong. But that's how he learns. Right. You know, and maybe I'm the uh, butthead father for making him do that, but I still think right is right and wrong is wrong, you know? Right. got to hold people accountable. Yeah. And, I mean, you make a great point. Like, I think you putting it on YouTube, it, it does kind of help a lot of other people that – um you know, from that happening to them could potentially, I guess, help them. 
Yeah, and I, I don't I don't really think that a guy taking those cards out is necessarily a bad person. You no, know, right. um, I could find out who stole the cards and I could get along with them. A year down the road, we could be friends. But but the fact is, I think putting it out there makes people think about what they're doing. It makes them think, well, I didn't even think it was that bad when I took cards out of somebody's camera. Right. Because, you know, the amount of times this happens, you know damn well that there's people watching that video that have taken people's cards. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you, yeah, you yeah. Know, or, or their cameras or, or done worse. Um, and it makes them think about the uh, consequences, especially when you read, you know how I asked everybody to talk about things that had happened to them? I did that for mm -hmm. a reason. Because when people read that and they see the damage they've done to people, I think I think it makes them think about it a little more. I mean, if you read through those comments, there's people that talk about when they're, you, you know, they took their 14 year old out for their first hunt, and the kid's stand is missing. You know, you, you know, there's a, you know, you're not always stealing from some grown man. You know, you know, right? No, right? It could be some 14 year old kid that saved up all summer to buy a. $30 Tasco or something. And he took his stuff and it's like, yeah. Yep. And, and you can be to... turning that kid against hunting from then on. You could just, yep. just quit. He could quit public land. He could quit hunting. He could quit a lot of things. He could just turn against it mm -hmm. instead of, uh, if the same kid, if you ran him to, into him in the parking lot and, uh, you started talking to him, you saw his excitement and you said, Hey, I got this, uh, Tasco camera back here. I hardly use this. Why don't you use this one? Right, Here, go right. Take it. That would make the opposite, you know, um, impact on that kid. And that's the kind of stuff I try to do is I try to have a positive impact on those uh, young people or people that uh, are new to hunting. And instead of the negative one, you know, yeah. let them see yeah. you taking garbage out with you. You know, let them see you picking it up on video and, and uh, when you're in the woods walking around people. Um then they're going to think twice about before they litter because you're going to think, well, crap, there's people that have to go out here and pick this stuff up when I do this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's awful around, uh, well, about any public land anymore. It seems like you see those cleanup days and people just fill, fill dumpsters up with trash that they find on the public land. It's, it's horrible. Yeah. Um, but that's seems like, uh, I don't know. There's a certain type of people that, they just feel like that's a, a dump yard instead of a, a kind of a privileged area that we're lucky to have and we should take care of it. Right. Um, yeah, I have a, uh, I have a buddy from Kentucky that put me in contact with some, uh, um, the people that work for the, the state and, and, um, do some conservative stuff, conserve, uh, conservation organizations. And I was going to have them on one of these, one of these days to talk about that kind of stuff and, um, kind of where where the money comes from to take care of those places and how hunters can help and all that. It's gonna be an episode eventually yeah, here. Yeah. I'm gonna get it all. It'll be it'll be I think an interesting one. I mean, there's a lot of like detail stuff that like when you buy you know you buy ammo, some of that goes to um, conservation, and when you buy you know bow or arrows, all that the um, the Pitt Pittman Robertson Act is what that's called, and that's all really interesting to me. A lot of people don't know that stuff exists. Uh, I think there's like a, I think there's like a, don't quote me on it, but I think there's like a 14% tax on all hunting and fishing equipment, shooting equipment uh, that goes into a pile for uh, conservation. So that's where a lot of that public land stuff comes from. Is actually you buying a case of shotgun shells or 
new arrows or whatever trail cameras, all that stuff gets taxed. Um, kind of, it's kind of cool, and I think it's something that's people can think about a little bit whenever they're, um, you know, spending their money on things. Uh, so, uh, you want to you want to tell the story about your food plot planning experience you had this week? <laughs> Mm -hmm. is, is eric is eric on uh online? i haven't seen him there's a bunch of people on but i haven't seen eric's name roll across here well good then i can lie okay good <laughs> there you go no i was uh eric was coming over to go scouting and uh we we're gonna go hit a new area that we had never hit before and we uh while i was waiting for him he, he lives quite a ways from me he's up in the center of the state so it takes him uh, like an hour and a half to get to my house so while I was waiting for him, I was going to quick uh, uh, throw some seeds in the uh, food plot and maybe churn it up a little bit. So um, I've got a, a, a food plot area in the back in the swamp on my property. And uh, I've never put a food plot there before. It was high grass. It was grass up to my chin, like that canary grass. Right. And I went in there and killed it all um like two weeks earlier and it was dry as a bone in there and uh i had a muddy section in the center where i could plant but the, i wanted to get that grass down so i was going to drive the atv around in circles and churn it up so mm -hmm. i went in there and started spinning the atv around and just woo, 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 and uh really ripping things up and uh i actually got a little dizzy and i parked it and then i went over by the the seeds and uh all of a sudden, like, uh, I smelled something. I turned around, and, and there's flames around the ATV. I had parked it in that dry grass, and I think the muffler started the grass fire. Something around the ATV did. And I ran over, and I jumped on the ATV, and I drove it away from the flames. And I really wasn't that concerned because it was a small fire. And then I ran back over and started stomping on it, but it wouldn't go out. It just kept spreading. And I kept trying to stomp on it more, and it was getting out of hand. So then uh, I thought, well, I need something to hit it with. So I ran over and got the uh, uh, this bin, this plastic bin I had seed in. I started yeah. hitting this bin, and uh, um, it still wasn't going out, and it was getting, the flames were getting higher. And all of a sudden, the, the bin started flopping in the air because it was starting <laughs> to melt, you know. And then it started on fire, so I dropped the bin, and then that burst into flames. And so then I thought, well, I better get the ATV out of here because it was spreading so fast. So I drove the ATV out into the grass, and then I ran back in there with a shovel. And when I, by the time I got back in there, the flames were like 15 feet high, maybe higher. And uh, I couldn't even get close to the fire because it was so hot. I couldn't get close <laughs> enough to, to put it out. So then uh, 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 I called Carol and I told her um, to turn the hose on. Well, the hose don't go all the way down there, but it was by the raccoon cage because I had a cage up against there that was full of... Uh, has two two baby raccoons in it yeah. i didn't want them to get burned up and uh so i ran and got the holes and i sprayed all the the uh brush and stuff that was around the cage um hoping to stop it there and i thought that when it hit the green stuff it would probably go out so she came running down there and she's like should i call 911 i'm like no 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 and she's like the flames are over the trees and i'm like just, just wait. When it hits the trees, it'll go go out. Well, it didn't. It just kept burning into green green crap. So, uh, but the flames went down quite a bit when it hit the green stuff. So, uh, 
I grabbed the shovel and I went back in there and the stuff around the outside was uh, like all viney and thick and nasty. I could barely bust through it and the, there's flames underneath and I'm trying to get them out. And I did eventually, um, it was getting out of hand, um, spreading in all directions. So then I thought, well, if, if this takes off into the woods, I'm done. So just for uh, peace of mind, I yelled over to her, just go ahead and call them. So she called 911 and um, I started getting some control on it. About the time they got there, I got it out. So I was able to put the fire out myself, but there was a point there where I thought I might not be able to, um, with just a shovel or whatever. And it was a good thing that came anyways, because I put it out in one section and run over to the other section. I turned around and the section I was just in is back on fire. It was like the uh, little embers start to dry crap back on fire, you know? So yeah. when they, they just flooded everything, you know, with water and, um, uh, we had a couple different uh, fire departments over and it was uh, interesting time. And then uh, they were all leaving and Eric was pulling in and he's like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> it's like, it's always some sort of drama when I show up. Like, oh, I know it just follows me. <laughs> uh, that's what I told you. You told me a story. Earlier, so was, your, your food plot be nice and clear now to plant. Yeah, oh, yeah, I uh, lost a hunt more chair in it. Oh, really? Yeah, I love those chairs. Um, they're not in business anymore. Um, the guy who invented those was on the hunting beast, and he gave me a couple of them, and I really loved them. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're old and beat up and chewed up, but now I'm down to one. So, um, I think I've seen I you had, use that. I think I, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, I shot that little uh doe out of it one time, and I had I had that stuffed in the grass where I'd uh watched raccoons and stuff and it burned up yeah man it must have been a like how how big of an area did it burn uh a little over a quarter acre okay yeah that's that'd a pretty be, chunk. <laughs> yeah that's pretty pretty decent size area well the, the good part is is now we have a big food <laughs> right right <laughs> a lot of uh you'll have some seed to soil contact now you don't have to worry about that grass I don't even you, really hunt on there. I just like feeding the animals and having them around. Right. Be cool to have a little food plot down there and see what comes into it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I uh, I put a trail camera out in Ohio last week, a cell camera, and my goodness, they got... Uh, I put just like a little bag of corn out because you can bait in Ohio, and I, I put just uh, maybe like 40 pounds of corn out in front of it, and every night... Like the first 10 days it was in there, I probably had, I don't know, there's probably 10 coons in one picture every night that ate it. I'm like, oh, this, what a waste of my money. <laughs> not that a, not that a bag of corn is real expensive, it's just like, oh my gosh. So, yeah. Have you guys, I was, I was going to ask you this, your guys' coon stuff, have you seen like an increase in the amount of coons you guys have had over the, the last five or six years? Because there's coons everywhere around here anymore. Yeah, we got a lot of them. I mean, people stopped hunting them and stuff. Um, uh, but you got to remember, uh, it's hard for me to gauge that because we got so many that we released that keep coming back. That, oh. that are friends, you know, that from when we uh, rescued them as babies. And then we, we right. raise them as, like, not as pets. So we, we teach them how to be wild coons. But yeah. they're still a slightly imprinted. So they'll come back looking for food and stuff. And Right. And we feed them and stuff. And um, so we, we get them coming back because of that. But, yeah, there's been a lot of raccoons 
period all over the place so you see them dead on the road every 100 feet you know mm-hmm. so um usually they go in cycles though cause, so uh, diseases will come through like distemper will come through and, and wipe out the population pretty hard and then it'll be a few yeah. years and then it'll start growing again and it'll get up to a point like right now it, it we're probably going to look at distemper or something coming up because of uh population. the number of raccoons yeah because when because when they get it in that kind of population it spreads like the covid yeah yep i can't remember the number it my uncle was telling me about it but he was telling me the number of coons per square mile in indiana this year and it was like some number you wouldn't even you wouldn't even have dreamt of how many coons there are mm. uh, i don't know how they got that number but um it was something astronomical per per square mile um i wish i wish you could get some money for them anymore i used to enjoy coon hunting and stuff but uh, I, I like them too much i used to when i was when i was young i we ate them i sold them for furs and stuff but after having yeah. them as pets and stuff they they almost seem like people to me it's just hard for me to kill them right i could see Carol that. that too so she keeps threatening to get me pet deer and pet bears so i quit <laughs> killing those too <laughs> pet bear yeah speaking of bears that uh let's see if i can show you this uh, move back a little bit to your right oh yeah there yeah. it is i got a nice one coming in eh man that's your wisconsin around your wisconsin yeah 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 i got a couple good ones coming in uh a uh, couple in the um big fat category so how many do you, how many bears have you killed in wisconsin dan in wisconsin i've killed uh personally killed i think three okay um maybe four i got uh dan jr one too um but uh i pretty much stick to the big ones my first one was uh just an average bear you know like uh probably the 150 to 180 pound range dressed um and that was with a rifle and hounds but that was the first bear i ever shot and then after that i i always held out for the bigger ones and i my biggest bear is out of wisconsin it's uh um it was a 500 pounder it's mounted standing on uh two feet and it's uh standing on his two hind feet it's uh over a foot taller than i am man and then i have another big one that i shot that uh that's a pretty big bear um in wisconsin but i've got like uh forget what it is like seven or eight out of minnesota yeah i know i know you hunted up there more mm-hmm. um have you ever someone asked uh in the comments here have you ever hunted up in canada for bear or deer i've never hunted canada i always wanted to i never have I find it interesting when you watch the videos and stuff, how, how different the bear are um, in different regions like that. You know, you yeah. see that Canada where they come in so easy and stuff, and it's not like that in the States, you know, with the pressure we have and stuff. Right. Yeah, some of the videos you see up there on the Outdoor Channel or whatever, it's like, man, this that looks pretty simple. Uh, I'm sure it's not as quite that simple, but... Yeah, you uh, get these bears, you know, like... Uh, um, there's one, there's one outfitter I like to watch, uh, Saskatoon Outdoors or something like that in Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. They got this guy under that's just a bear nut. I love the guy. But uh, when you watch how the bears react, I mean, he'll come in there and 
the bears will like be feeding while he's talking right next to him and stuff. And he'll climb up the tree and they'll chase the bear out that they're after. And it'll come right back. I mean, that don't happen in Minnesota or Wisconsin. You chase that bear out or you ain't seeing him again the rest of the season, you know? Mm, yeah. Um, so I, I mean, it's not apples to apples. I wonder if the deer hunting up there is similar. I don't know why it wouldn't be. Right. Yeah. I, you know, I think a lot of, uh, animal characteristics are due to experiences yeah so think about like um i've hunted um cushy land like um i was on uh diaquisto's ranch um once or twice and um you have 150 inch bucks walk up to you daily and look at you in the tree and just go back to feeding um because they're so you, you know accustomed to people that don't don't hurt them you know, don't, don't go after them. Don't bother them. Mm-hmm. Um, they act like uh, fawns do here. And as a matter of fact, I would say even the fawns are more skittish than that on the public land around my house. Um, you, know, you know, and I would, I would say that the deer in Canada are probably, you know, could be easier, you know. But I do know that uh, some places, you get in the north woods where they don't see hunters a lot. And a lot of times those deer are just super freaked out by human sense. Yeah. So I get, you know, it all has to do with, with, um, imprinting and impact. So they might not smell a lot of deer or a lot of people in like Northern Wisconsin, but when they do, it was immediately associated as danger to them from their mom. Right. You know, like, uh, like gun season would come and that'd be their first time they'd smell people and it'd be everywhere. And it was just this huge dangers thing. So then they might hardly smell humans ever, but when they smell humans, they, they remember that, or, or at least their mind is triggered by that memory of that first gun season they lived through. Where if you get into an area of Canada that has like, say, they really don't experience hunters. I mean, once mm-hmm. in a lifetime they run into somebody that's maybe it's after that impact age, those deer might not react the same way to the human danger as say one in northern Wisconsin. And then you get the opposite ones where they've been around people so much they just try to sneak past you or something. You know what I'm saying? Or sneak around you or they're, they're good with your scent. You know, But I think all of it has to do with how much they're influenced by people and as and people as danger or not as danger. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I guess I, I shouldn't say, I'm sure all of Canada is not some uh, hunting mecca for all the deer. Correct. Yeah, I'm sure there's it's places where it's like towns the same and over hunted areas too, just like we do. Yeah, probably not exactly. nearly as bad, but they've just got a lot of big open spaces yeah. too. Yeah, I don't mean to offend anybody that's a Canadian on the and the watching the show. I'm sure it's hard up there too, and it's it's not easy to kill any deer usually. You know, uh, especially if you're doing it on, you know, any type of ground where there's multiple hunters or. I don't know the public land situation up there, but um, it seems hard to offend Canadians. They're just like happy. Oh yeah. Yeah. They just go (laughs) smack you with their hockey stick. Um, eh. (laughs) Uh, Everybody tells me I sound like a hick from the South. So uh, you are a hick. Yeah, I reckon. You're, you're you're a Yankee. You're like that in betweener. You're a Yankee for yeah. Southerners, and you're a Southern boy for us Northerners. There's a uh, uh, yeah. I'm in a weird area. There's definitely a line. There's like a 
I've seen this map. It's like the all map where but there is a there's a, it goes through southern Indiana the line the south line does and it's true especially uh my mom's side of the family seems a little more of that y'all but they're from like Hazard County Kentucky so um that I, I think that blood's hard to get rid of sometimes um can you believe we've already been our, been on here for forty minutes um anyway I know I feel like we're just in the intro uh there's a bunch of people on. Yeah, there's a bunch of people on. Uh, don't forget, guys. Uh, we're gonna give away a set of Beast Minis uh, this weekend at Deer Fest sometime. I'll probably pop on here live and just we'll do a quick something or another and give them away to a subscriber. So if you haven't subscribed, make sure you subscribe. It would be really um, funny if I won. Yeah, the winner <laughs> is the Hunting Beast Channel. Yeah, we may have to redo it. Oh man. <laughs> Hey, Dan, someone asked if you like bear meat. Yeah, I do. Over. Matter of fact, I think um, um, if done correctly, it's better than deer meat. I've always... I... Go ahead. Bear meat is really good, but there's a thing about it. But a lot of no, you have to take care of it immediately. Yeah. Trigonosis is a real issue with it. I mean, you oh, have yeah, to cook. Yeah. it has to be cooked well, you know. But uh, um, you cannot shoot a bear up in like... Um, Canada or northern Wisconsin, field dress it, drive it home like you do a deer. Can't do that. If you do, it's going to be the grossest meat you ever had. Bears have to be cleaned and cooled immediately. So when you shoot a bear, you 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 field dress it, you get it back to your campsite, and as soon as it's registered or whatever you have to do legally, you skin the bear and you at least quarter it. Hopefully you debone it, you get the meat off of it, and you get that meat cooling. And uh, what we do when we have a bear camp is we actually take freezers with us, a freezer. We put it on a trailer and we put a generator on the trailer and we fire up the generator when we shoot a bear. And uh, we put the meat as we debone it into the freezer um, because the meat starts getting a taint to it and, a, and, a, um, and it gets bad um, the longer it stays hot. And a, a bear's hide is like a cooler. Not that it keeps it cool inside, but it keeps it hot. Yeah. And it's, like, it's like an insulating effect, right? Um, we've taken bears um, when I was younger and putting the whole bears in the freezer. And when it would, it, it was fine when it was like a 150 or 180 pound bear somebody shot. Um, it usually worked. But when you started getting a, 200 to 300 pound bear or bigger and you put them in these giant uh coolers you'd have you'd have them in that freezer for like uh three four days and then drive home and the whole outside of it be frozen ice and you skin it in the in in the meat and inside would still be hot hmm. believe it or not and those yeah. would taste horrible you have to clean them immediately you have to get that meat off the bones, get it cold immediately, and then it'll be the best meat you ever had. So if you had bad meat that has like that tallowy, nasty taste on a bear, it's usually not the bear meat. It's how you took care of the bear. Right. I've always wanted to kill one and uh, like render the fat down and use that for stuff too. A lot of people like swear by that stuff. Yeah, when you get those big ones, man. Yeah. Yeah, you, um, uh, you, you're putting in a point this year, right? Yeah. Maddie too? Yep. You two should come up here and uh, 
and hunt, hunt uh, the bear camp up here. Uh, yeah. With, uh, Jeff, who's doing it for us, you should do him next year. Is it just two points? Or it might be. Um, so now, like, I've got a friend who um, got a bear last year, shot a bear, applied again, and drew a tag again this year in that same oh. unit. Okay. So um, Jeff told me it takes about three years, but I know people that got, got them every year, and it almost seems like you get them your first year you apply. Mm. I don't know. There's something something weird about it because uh, I don't know. Maybe a lot of people just take points and then don't don't even try to take a tag until their second or third year. Right. But maybe so. I wouldn't doubt it if you guys draw next year. Hmm. Okay. So anybody, I mean, that's interested in him, I mean, that Jeff guy, they should just. Uh, um, give them a ring and, uh, and, uh, you know, get on a list or something. If you know, you got enough points that you'll have a tag. You put his contact in the, uh, in that video you did, didn't you? Correct. Okay. I thought you did. You can put it in the uh, comments too afterwards or something too. Yeah. I'll, I can throw it in there. I'll comment on the video afterwards and people can look at it if they are interested after the fact. Um, Someone asked, I posted this uh, earlier on Facebook, and someone wanted us to go over our bow setup. It was mm -hmm. one of the questions we got on um, on the Facebook page. Do you want to, like, I know you don't have your bow there with you. Do you, do you want to, like, tell people kind of what you uh, shoot or your bow sight and that kind of stuff, the rest you like? You know, I don't even know what model's there, honestly. Right. Um, I'd have to look them up. I know you, you, like a, you have, like, one of those sites it's like a single, I have a single pin. pin that's adjustable for yardage yeah, yeah. so uh i can adjust it if like the deer is out at like 40 or 30 or 20 or whatever but it's one single pin and uh it's uh -huh. encased in a circle ring right yeah it's uh um you got one of those filament that's that lights it up right mm -hmm. and then, uh, i got a drop away rest um one of the top ones made i can't remember the brand but yeah, i mean how often do i buy a rest in a site Right. Did you just I'm buy that really, rest? I'm not really into the equipment and stuff. I just, I mostly, I go to uh, a pro and have my bows set up and trust them to do it right. And I tell them what I prefer. I'm not really a gadget guy, honestly. Yeah. I know when, uh, I know when equipment shoots well for me and I know when, right. you know. Well, why do you shoot the one pin like versus a four pin or five pin or whatever? Well, generally almost, almost all my shooting is, um, uh, within 20 so it's just one pin and uh but i i like the idea of being able to adjust and take a long shot if i need one uh in the past i used to um just use the one pin and raise the bow up and stuff and i just think that uh, i wounded a lot of deer by um by doing it that way so actually being able to adjust it to 40 or 30 or 20 i think it's important um but i hardly ever do it's usually set at 20. if the deer's at 10 i might aim a little low it's at 25, my name a little high, maybe get away with 30, but when it starts getting beyond that, then I want to be able to adjust it, you know, um, yeah. but it's very rare. I do. You got to remember how I set up. I mean, I'm setting up on those bed areas. I know where that deer is going to be, how it's going to come out and stuff. It's not too often that I have shots that are longer. I mean, there are certain scenarios where you do, you get areas where you, you know, we looked at one, uh, me and, me and, uh, Eric, when we were scouting, Sunday after the fire, um, we looked at an island and I went to the end of that island and you found where all these bucks were coming onto that island and leaving sign and a west wind was blowing right down into the bedding area there. 
and the way they were coming on there, um, the only way you could hunt that, the only tree you could hunt out of, I'd have to shoot over this hill and it would have to be a 30 yard shot to the best trail. So, I mean, in that case, I have to shoot 30 yards, but most cases I'm setting up for an 18 yard shot and I know where the buck's going to come out. I know where he's going to be. So, um, pretty much it's almost always the same shot when I shoot a deer. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I, uh, and then you, you, you don't even run, you don't run a stabilizer on your bow, do you? Like, a, no. I didn't think you did. Um, I'm just trying to think what else people would be interested in, but, uh, you don't shoot a whisker biscuit. You had I one on your bow for, I didn't like it. I, yeah. I put a drop away back on, uh, I had a drop away on, uh, my, my last bow and something was wrong with the timing on it. I, I couldn't get the bow to shoot right. And, um, I, I couldn't figure out why. And then we figured out that the timing was off on it. So um, we pulled off that drop away and threw it away. And I and uh, we put a whisker biscuit on it. It was shooting great. So then when I got got it back home, I, uh, I called up uh, Steve Pagel, the, the retired owner of uh, Forge Bows. He's a really good yep. friend of mine. And uh, I told him I wanted to set up the bow and go over it with me. So we went over there and put a drop away on it and that kind of stuff. And I'm, uh, shooting those, uh, new Exodus arrows. Mm -hmm. The MMTs. Yeah. There's something up with those. They, they've got some sort of technology in there. Now I'm, I'm not very good with arrows, but something's going on with those where they, uh, correct themselves really quick. So if you yeah. get something that like bumps them or, or something, as a matter of fact, uh, I think I told you this and I probably shouldn't admit this out loud, <laughs> but I will. <laughs> You know, I don't care if people laugh at me. But, uh, I was shooting my arrows, uh, three arrows, and I didn't realize I never put a, a target tip on one of them. And I shot like a couple of arrows. And that arrow grouped right with the rest of the arrows uh, and never even fluttered with no tip on it. Hmm. <laughs> um, which I thought was amazing because if I did that in the past with my other arrows, I mean, that arrow would have been freaking crazy. I mean, even if I had a different size tip on it, like a... Like say, uh, you went from 125 grain to 100, you get yeah. flight difference. So, um, I, I also had uh, when I had a whisker biscuit on there. It was uh, the way I got the feathers on there. I got a real rigid vein. Yeah. Nah, uh, the rigid veins couldn't take the whisker biscuit, and they're ripping the feathers off. And when it would rip a feather off and the feather stuck in the uh, whisker biscuit and the arrow would fly perfectly true with two, two veins. And, uh, I thought that was amazing. And, yeah. I mean, maybe it's coincidence with my setup, but I think it's in the arrows. I, uh, I was at Exodus, uh, headquarters last week and I, uh, Chad explained it all like in a video showed the process of them uh, building them and stuff. So I may next time my next video I put up, I may put that in there just as a little quick two minute segment in there to, it's pretty neat. It's, uh, it's, they have a cool little setup for, for building arrows. Um, and then you're, you'll, you'll shoot the G five strikers again this year. Won't you broadhead yep. wise? Yeah, I was shooting, uh, muzzies, but I was shopping around for a new broadhead because, uh, muzzies kind of went downhill when, uh, when they sold 
doing the yeah. company stuff. Um, I think it was Rage Bottom or something. But then they started making them overseas, and I started getting really bad flight out of them. They weren't balanced. You'd, you'd have to uh, spin check them, and mm -hmm. uh, one out of every three would be junk. And you're paying a lot of money for one out of three to be junk. And then I, I sure. did a some yeah. didn't even have the flutes cut them. You couldn't even put a blade in them. Yeah, I was like, what the heck? I mean, it just the quality went way downhill. And I had a pattern that was about the size of a softball at uh, about 20 yards. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought it was me. And then when I, um, I, I tested a whole bunch of different broadheads. But the strikers, I got my pattern actually cut in half. So it went down to, you know, like a little over golf ball size at 20 yards. Just yeah. change the broadheads. So I like them. Um, you're flying well for me. I mean, I found one or two other broadheads that worked well for me, but uh, I really like the um, the people at Prime and G5. So I'm supporting them. The broadhead flies great. So why not use it and support them? Yep. Kills the deer. That's the main thing. <laughs> the main thing I, I just brought my bow in just to show everybody i guess my setup if i quit hitting the mic for you guys <laughs> but the biggest thing that's different on mine dan's is i have a a uh four pin slider and this one's from uh b3 which they're made in kentucky here or down in kentucky no so you don't um, have to do any adjustment like i have to no well i can i got it like i got 20 30 40 and 50 yards and then I have um, a tape side on the side here down to 100. And then on the side, there's just a little, a lot of people have like knobs. This one's like a fishing reel. I don't know if you can see that. And then you can just turn it down to whatever distances you want to. I like to practice out far. But uh, hunting wise, I would just always just keep it at the top there. And then I have 20, 30, 40, uh, and 50. And then I, sh I shoot a stabilizer. This is an eight inch B Stinger stabilizer. You actually take 50 yard shots. Uh, I've killed a deer at 47. Okay. I shot a pretty, actually it's, uh, that buck right there. I shot at 47, but no, I don't want to, I don't prefer it, uh, by any means. Yeah. I'm just um, a horrible shot. I've just, uh, everything about me, I have a hard time at those longer distances. So I don't like, yep. I don't like pushing the envelope. That hunts on the hunting beast somewhere. If you got to go back a couple years, but it's on there. Cool. Um, and then someone asked about drop away rest. I have I shoot a trophy taker smackdown and it's uh limb driven. Someone asked if we shoot limb driven or cable driven. I like the limb driven ones. I don't know what Dan shoots, but cable. The cable yeah. Only reason only reason I prefer this one is because it's easy for me to set up and I can like fix it. Like if I'm on a hunt out of state and I tear this thing off here, mm -hmm. I don't have to have a bow press or anything. I can just put a new cord on it. I just carry a length of this stuff in my truck with me. Um this site's a B3 exact hunter deer hunting Cajuns. That's what this one is. Um, I have a buddy that uh, lives by me that shoots professionally and he helped, he helped uh, some of the design on some of the products for them. So I really like it. They're made in America, made in the U S here. So, um, Oh, and then I have this tight spot quiver, which I really like. I've hit it for a lot of years, but it keeps the quiver real, real close to the bow. So it's not much to get caught up on or anything, but one yeah, thing I like about that prime bow too, um, just like yours, is that real low profile between the um, the uh, brace and the uh, string. Um, yeah, 
with the the forge bow, I had a real deep bow in it. Yeah, and real. it was hard to get through brush and cattails and stuff without getting stuff caught mm -hmm. in the cans and stuff. Where I can kind of slide through pretty easy with that. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, this bow's the inline. It's probably not as much of a, um, a thing for you because you're hunting more wood hill country hills, stuff. Somewhere yeah. in uh, tangles and brush and stuff. Right. Right. But I'll hunt a fair a fair bit in that stuff now just for traveling around. Um, I shoot a nose button. I don't know. Do you shoot a kisser button? Yep. I shoot a nose button. I, I shoot kisser. Touch your nose. This reminds me I got to put one on my pole. Yeah. I don't have one on it. And this right here is just a GoPro mount if anybody was wondering what the heck that thing is sticking out. I, on my I can bow. shoot just fine without a, a kisser. But as soon as you start getting into extreme angles and stuff, it seems to throw me off not having one. Yep. Yeah, and we're both, someone asked about our arrows, we're both shooting the MMTs, and then I shoot the Montex, which are the, they're like, Dan's are replaceable blades, mine's just a solid broadhead, it doesn't have any replacements. Yeah, you, replace you know, it's interesting, because that's what I wanted to shoot, Yeah, and um, I couldn't get it to fly straight. Yeah. Um, but, take that with a grain of salt, because everybody's setup is different. So, yeah, they shoot good out of mine. I broadheads or something, I, I would suggest... Um, if you know somebody that shoots them or something, borrow one of his dull ones or something and shoot it. Right. Just make sure your, your system, your setup shoots well with a broadhead before you, you, you buy it. Cause Josh shoots those things great. And my bow completely tuned didn't, I mean, my new one might, but, right. uh, it probably has to do with my draw length, my arrow length, uh, everything kind of combined together. But I've had people tell me the strikers don't shoot well for them, but they shoot. Yeah. Great. yeah I mean, I'm, I'll cut my arrows in half if I shoot them multiple ones you know does uh you shoot that they make a four blade and a three blade don't they do you shoot the three blade ones the threes yeah. threes yeah they also make that montec and a, that was a vented head some people don't like the vented broadheads mm. they make them in solids too now i, saw I might try year. them again i got i got a couple sets of them sitting here i might uh i might shoot them out of the new bow just to see what happens yeah um lots of questions coming in so we're going to start getting into those uh on the chat also i just put the link to call in on the uh chat guys so everybody can can call in um if you're on here make sure you hit the like button too that helps a lot with youtube i always forget to mention the like button um okay here's a, a question from ethan it says i mostly hunt hill country with that being said at what point does the wind overpower thermals Do you want me to answer that or are you going to answer that? Yeah, go ahead. Answer that one. At what point does the wind overpower the thermals? Yeah. Well, I think he's like asking how high does the wind speed have to be before the thermals well, don't matter. That, that's, kind of that's an open-ended question you really can't answer. That's why I'd rather Josh embarrass himself on that one. <laughs> I don't <But>, guess. <laughs> um, it, it can depend on how hot it is, how, you know, how sunny it is. It can depend on a lot of things, how big the hill is. Bigger hills will have, you know, bigger steep hills steeper hills that are a longer distance uh, in elevation will have uh more force um and uh really you never well i shouldn't say never it happens but most of the time you don't overpower thermals because what happens is that there's calm periods like wind doesn't just blow steady 
And when you think the wind just hesitated for a minute, what it really did, it was backflow and the thermals took over. And you might not feel it, but it's going to float up to where the deer are. So uh, um, to me, you just about always got to take thermals into effect. You'd have to have a pretty steady, strong wind where you get one directional of a high wind b before I'd ever consider um, trying to beat a thermal. Yeah. I think yeah. your thermal is the first thing I think about setting up. And it's also like, um, it's one of those deals too, where even if you think the wind's high enough, like sure enough, right before dark, it's going to die down. And then that's when, you know, the deer are going to, they're, they, they're not dumb either. They know, you know, they know when they can have an advantage with the thermal thermals and not, and all that. Um, a whole and bunch that's of people a good, are that's a good point. It depends on when he's hunting. Like if you're hunting midday, there's a possibility to, to beat it. That's kind of what I was talking about. But if you're hunting yeah. evening, just about every evening, your thermals are going to take over at some time. You know, they're going to start dropping, you know? Yeah. A whole bunch of people are asking about your trail camera thief. Everybody, we talked about that a little bit earlier. You probably just missed it. Um, so. Yeah, we um, went over that pretty good. And I really can't say much more than what we yeah. already said about impeding yeah. uh, the warden's investigation. So you can just back her up a little bit and uh, you'll hear us talking about it. Uh, we got a call in here. I'm going to add Adam to the, to the screen. Hey, Adam. Adam. Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, so my question kind of goes with the last one you just answered a little bit, Dan. Um, hill country, when you're talking about buck bedding, are all leeward sides of the ridge created equal when it comes to buck bedding? <laughs> uh, no, not really. Um, I guess uh, – Thickness will have a, a big part in which ones they choose. Um, points, knobs, um, how, how close together uh, bedding areas are on the ends of uh, the wood sides. Um, there's a lot of uh, things that come into play. No! I got you. <clears throat> so, let's say you're going to scout a new area. What sticks out to you? about what to go inspect, put boots on the ground as far as looking at ridge points and are you looking at like what that thermal hub will feed down into if it feeds out into a field or you know if that drainage goes down into an oak bottom or you know or, or I'm sorry like an oak flat inside of a hill or what's what's your thought on that? Um, food is huge um, you, you know uh, thermal thermal uh, hubs for uh, every wind, but say uh, an east wind has a point for them to bet on. Those are huge. Um, but uh, for me, one of the biggest things, uh, and especially more in the last like decade or so, is um, getting away from the obvious. Um, the obvious uh, points and ridges and knobs and stuff, especially if you're mediocre, uh, access i mean not necessarily easy but uh not all that hard access um just get pounded nowadays so i'm really looking for stuff that's really going to be overlooked um but it has that leeward advantage uh, smaller thermal hubs and stuff that people wouldn't really notice that are maybe way back uh, a long distance 
um, properties that have uh, access um, that not a lot of people know about. Um, those kind of things. So <clears throat> let me see if, I, if I'm kind of understanding you here. If, in your opinion, if the area that you're hunting or scouting doesn't hold a mature buck, then the ridge points and the ridges have absolutely no value then. Is that kind of uh, they have value, but not much to me. Um, I'm going to try and get on properties where that buck lives because you have a, your percentage of killing them are go way up. I mean, being on a property, hoping from the pass through, if that's what you're talking about, that's, yeah. that's a hard task. I think mature bucks don't travel uh, long distances as much as what people make it out to be. Uh, most of the, the uh, bucks that are over five years old that I've shot in rut have that were like on cruising were in very short cruise areas, like where two bedding areas were really close to each other and they're going from one to the other. I really haven't ran into too many five or six year old bucks that just cruise open ridges. You know, one, you know, one property to the next. I know they do it from studies, but if you look at those studies, they might have one or two days of their, the whole entire year that they do that. And you have to be lucky to be there the day they do that. Where I think for me, if I take luck out of it and I, and I concentrate more on where they're betting, how they're moving, things like that, um, I can up my odds a little more and have a little more um, percentage of success maybe even have success every year rather than like every five, six years off of luck, you know? Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. I'm, I've been doing a lot of scouting, some hill country and it almost seems overwhelming because there's so much land and I'm trying to, trying to narrow What area are you in? I'm in Southern Indiana. I'm just South of, of Josh there. Mm. Um, I think he's pretty close to where you guys hunted. On public land yeah, that's a great there. area. I mean, um, that area does not get a lot of pressure. So I think if you can just get away from the roads a little bit, sure, uh, you, you know, get into some of them. Uh, uh, that's a little more lower rolling hills in that that area. Um, yeah. So some of the saddle systems. I mean, if you can look where where there's uh, a lot of fingers and points and stuff, and there's a ridge in between other fingers and points that's leeward and it's yeah. not a long distance. I think that could be a really good area. Okay. And I don't think, I don't think that area gets really pounded. Um, when I hunted down there, most of the sign I found of hunters was right next to the road. It was nothing like the hill country up here. Yeah. Um, uh, Josh, you got anything on that? Because Josh hunts over there quite a bit more than I do. Um, yeah, I think, I, I think if you're down, I don't want to say too much, but uh, if you're down where I think you are, um, you you may look at, uh, I don't know if you got a boat or something too. There's a, a certain lake down there that's really good yeah. um, that you, you can get away uh, from people by, if you got a, if you got access to a boat, that's something else. I've always, if I live down there closer to that area, I think that's something I'd uh, probably take advantage of. Um, yeah. as, I don't I don't know if you're close to that lake or not, but. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think, uh, I think what you're saying too, Dan, is uh, bow season to me is almost like you're hunting private property down here. Um, it just seems like there's nobody, and then the first two weekends of gun season, 
you know, 200 yards from the road, forget about it. And then it's yeah. like after those two weekends, it's it's back to like when it was bow season. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to now, granted, I don't want to sit here and be like, I got it all to myself because it's, obviously that's not true. Mm-hmm. But I got a pretty good a pretty good hunch that I can set myself apart by, like you're saying, going a little farther or doing something out of the ordinary. You know what I mean? Yeah, that Um, was very impressive to me when I was down there in that area, how I could just get away from people by walking a little ways. That ain't like that everywhere, but that particular area is. I mean, it was was nice to hunt in that kind of situation. Sure, yeah. All right, there's... there's a lot of uh supposedly there's some persimmon trees down there too which is pretty unique if you can find those um up though in those hills um that can be good something we don't have kind of up in up in this neck of the woods and there's some down there i guess for early season yeah um so let me ask you that and i'll get off i promise once i ask you you're good um so let's say if you're talking about a piece of land like that um, way off the road, no ag fields. Are these big bucks, are you seeing these big bucks when they stage up? Are they coming off these ridges and staging up at like feed trees? My So in my mind, I have a picture that these bucks aren't just getting up 15 minutes before, you know, before, before nighttime, I guess, before dark and walk into the primary bit or the primary food. My thing is they're probably coming down like 50 to 100 yards, maybe, depending on the wind, depending on thermals, whatever, and staging up. So do you put any thought into, like you're saying, the hottest the hottest feed tree? Or are you just looking for feed trees in general, I guess? Well, it depends on if you're talking rut or you're talking outside of rut. I'm talking like the first week of season. First week of season, I'm going to be pressed up against those – bedding areas as, as well as possible. So I'm going to be trying to figure out where they're bedding and I'm going to be as close as I possibly can to the point that I think that they're bedding on in the direction that they're traveling. So um, that goes a little different than, than rut wise. And uh, you know, a lot of it has to do with food, but I'm not really worried about where their destination is beyond that. I just want to know what direction to travel. They're going to be feeding as soon as they get up and in the direction that they move. So all you have to do is determine a direction of move. Um, and that can even be a guess because you only hunt it once and then the next day you move, right? But really pushing that envelope and getting as close as you can. Um, then you're going to get more into like uh, when you look at that series of like uh, three, three points coming off heading leeward. You know, uh, do you hit the armpit of the first one? Do you hit the armpit of the last one? And a lot of that might have to do with the wind. Okay, you try it here because the wind's right for that today. And then you get in there, and usually the terrain will put all any deer that comes through there through a certain channel. So you hunt that. And then if that don't work, you back out of there till the wind's the other way, and you can get in on the other side and try that. And if that don't work, then maybe you go to a different veterinary. And you just keep hopping around like that until you connect. And uh, if you... If you get into an area and you hunt a spot like that and your whole way back there, you're not seeing much for sign. Well, then you're going on to another property and you keep doing that until you hit a property that has a lot of rubs, a lot of, you know, you start seeing big tracks. Maybe you start seeing some some early scraping. 
um, then you start concentrating on that that property because you know it's holding something. You know, and you and you narrow your focus. Right, that makes sense. I got. I'll say. I'll say my other questions for next week, but <laughs> All I got plenty more. But uh, yeah, and Adam, I guess whenever I when I think about like you're calling them uh, feed trees, like that's just like a, a point B for a buck. Like I, I you still got to, you know, I, I very rarely will set over a, an, you know, a specific oak tree per se. It's always, you know, back and back off of that into wherever I think that buck's bedding at. But if you kind of got a line of travel, you know what I mean? Yeah. If there's some big persimmon tree dropping on a ridge or something, you know, um, anyway, thanks for calling in, man. Yep. Thanks. Hey, uh, kind of specials on the shirt. The, uh, Pay double for the first one, get the second one free. What's that? <laughs> I said you still running the special on the shirt. You pay double for the first one. Get oh the yeah, free. yeah, 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 yeah. As many as you want that way. Yeah. <laughs> All right, thanks, guys. All right, man. See ya. See ya. Adam, uh, he called in uh, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, and I got I I sent him a shirt. So uh, someone asked if we shoot with our quivers on. I do. I don't. You know, I, I you used go. to take it off all the time, but it's more in line now. And um, yeah, I usually have it on. Um, but there are times I take it off. Yeah, I just, I always worry about it just being something else I could nick off something or hit or, you know, this or that. But then again, like maybe one of these days, maybe I'll need a second arrow and can't get to it. It's just kind of a, you got to... Um, that is the thing with me is it's so convenient to grab another arrow quick. Yeah. Now, um, it is nice to have it off the bow when you're trying to maneuver around though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just, uh, I don't, I don't ever shoot with it on and I just, I just take it off. I got a little, um, I got a little piece of paracord that I tied onto my quiver and I can hang it places real easily. Um, I either find a limb or something to stick it on or, um, my camera arm while hanging on it too. Honestly, it kind of uh, changed with me when I went to, to prime because the quiver yep. they gave me um, is so flat and in line. And uh, it just doesn't seem to matter as much for me anymore as getting in the way or, um, but I used to always have it off like you do. Um, but I started leaving it on more now. And a lot of times the trees I got and I got nowhere to hang it, you know, I'm public land. I can't really screw crap into the trees. Right. Much, you know, yeah. Now, like when I go out and when I'm going to go hunt out west where I'm going to hunt off the ground and I'm going to be kind of wonder for calling an elk or something like that, that, that the, the years I've done that, I've always like tried to practice with it on and make sure everything's shooting okay with it on. And I'm not shooting, you know, six inches left at 40 because I got some heavy, you know, something torquing my bow because of a heavier setup or something. Um, but if you're shooting 20 yards, it's probably, it's probably the, the difference is probably, uh, it probably doesn't make a difference, but, um, yeah, I don't see no difference in my shooting. It's just uh, yeah. a matter of convenience of it bumping up against stuff, you know? So there, there's here, here's a, a question that came in from Tanner. Uh, these are sometimes kind of hard to answer, but we'll give it a shot here. He says, how would you hunt a small river bottom property, probably 13 acres, Bottom half is river, uh, grass top half is thick, nasty uh, bedding. Um, there's a creek that runs through the center. 
I would hunt it once, once or twice in a year. That's Thirteen acres is not very big. Correct. So it's if you got bedding on her, that's great, um, because then you got a, a bedding area created. So I would look at how the deer come in and out of there, um, regardless of the river and the grass and everything else. I'd I'd really look close at how uh, the bucks come in and out of that bedding, and I would have strategic ambushes picked out for certain winds. And I'd, uh, I wouldn't go in there until it's time to hunt. And um, if it's private land, I might have uh, some cameras in there monitoring it so I learn over time. Because those cameras are like they're there all the time when you can only be there every so often. Um, you could also have an observation stand. Um, but I think you can, if it's a private property, which I think it is if it's 13 acres, you could probably monitor it really well with a couple cameras and uh, just move in at the right time. Timing is everything with small acreage. You can't overhunt it. I mean, a lot of guys think because, well, I bought this property for hunting. That's where I'm going to hunt. And, you know, and, and just, just thinking about the guys, Josh, that asked me and you uh, about looking at properties, they'll go, this is the property I hunt. You know, where should I, I sit? Where should I put my stands? And blah, blah, blah. They never say that this is one of the properties I hunt. You right. look at me, I mean... um, uh, I might have a property I really like, I, and I don't even go there for a year or two because I don't know of any big bucks there. I'm going to where the bucks I want to hunt are. So those properties like that, I'm only hunting once or twice a year. Um, you got to be able to uh, get outside of the box. If you're in good health and uh, active, you should be able to, you know, go hit some of your public around you or gain some access to some other properties too. And let that just get better. The more you hunt it, the worse it's going to get. The less you hunt it, the better it's going to get. So the less you hunt it, the better those hunts that you do do are going to be good. But you can also be impacted on a property that small by what your neighbors are doing too. Yeah. Um, someone asked if we've uh, hunted in the south or if we're going to hunt in the south. Yeah, we were talking about doing Florida and um, this year. Like yep. maybe not this year, but um, at the end of the right. season, which is like 2023 January or something. Yeah. So uh, we are looking at uh, Florida or maybe somebody else somewhere else down there. Maybe I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm I'm open to hunting some southern places. I haven't done it much. Um, I'm sure we're going to learn or uh, run into some big obstacles with uh, things being so different down there, uh, thickness wise, uh, critter wise. Uh, but uh, it sounds like a good challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Clay Hayes, who we had on the podcast, invited us down to, to hunt with him this winter. So um, I can't wait to go down there. The The South is always fun to hunt. I don't know why. I just, I liked it the few times I've been down there. Mm -hmm. Just really different. And it's a, I think I mostly like it is because by January and February, I'm kind of over winter and you get down and go down there and it's nice and, um, just something different. Yeah, we're going to uh, do a, a Michigan hunt. And uh, we're, we're probably going to do uh, a couple other hunts. And um, I'm open to suggestions. I mean, but I'd like to, I'd like to, you know, we've been picking a lot of spots that are really tough, like Michigan, like Florida. Right. <laughs> um, I, would, I wouldn't mind uh, um, a good big buck destination where we can actually get some action once, you know. Maybe right. uh, maybe somewhere in Illinois on public or or um, you know someplace we haven't really 
bend too much of yet. Yeah, for sure. We get to ask every week about going up to the UP, and we just got another question if we're going to go to the UP anytime. Yeah, we're going to have Michigan tags, so why not? Yep. It's a possibility this year for sure. Yeah. Someone asked if I'm filming in 4K. Um, I don't always like to film in 4K because it's so hard to edit in 4K. It bogs everything down bad. Uh, but yeah, I, I do a little bit. Um, I always film the, whatever camera I'm going to use to uh, film the deer. I'll shoot in 4K because you can zoom in on uh, editing. That's Moby Mike ask, asking about that. Um, someone, a uh, veteran outdoorsman, he asked, Dan, what would you look for on a large chunk of woods that is completely flat? Um, when it's completely flat, elevation is huge. It might sound re uh, ridiculous, mm -hmm. but it can be slight elevation differences. It can be a foot difference in elevation, whatever makes it, them trees turn a different, a different, uh, type of tree, um, so elevation is huge and transition is huge. So edge, you know, and a lot of that edge actually is created by elevation. So you get two different kinds of plant life that hit each other, two different kinds of types of trees or whatever, because of elevation, it's hard to see, but it might be like a, a foot higher, or you can have where, you know, different years of cutting, but, um, or something happened to fire, um, tornado, some, you know, something creates right. an opening. Um, or a waterway, the edge of uh, water. Um, so in relatively flat land, I think um, the very lowest elevation and the very highest elevation are, are two places I go to right away. And then it's the transition edges. I think in monotonous um, landscape that has no difference in the whole thing, if you took a square mile of exactly the same tamarack swamp you probably couldn't get me in there no matter what no matter how hard you tried because it, you'd have to show me a picture of a 200 inch buck in there or something to get me to go in there because hunting in that situation would be nearly impossible and it's not a situation that a big buck would even want to be in because he's picking his bedding spots for safety based on land features and stuff he'd probably move someplace outside of that area um so I'm looking for those land features that create bedding and um, they might be a little more subtle in that flat land, but they're still there. Uh, I can think of like, uh, there's a very large tamarack swamp by me. And within that swamp, I know of uh, several people who've gotten very gigantic bucks. And ironically, each one of those bucks in this huge, vast area um, without these guys really knowing each other, came from pretty much the same spot, spot, the same area, because that's the area that has a feature that's different. Even though it's very slight and very hard to see, that's the area that they're coming from. And now there's deer beds in that area everywhere. But every time a buck is like, you know, 170, a 200 inch or 180 inch, it comes from that same exact area. Hmm. So I hope that helped them. It's, yeah, it's, it's tough out there. without actually showing somebody or taking a map and just really going over it. Yeah. I don't think I've ever hunted like something real vast. that's just flat like that before. I'm trying to think 
everything that's vast has always been hilly where uh, where I've hunted. Um, someone said we ought to go to Maryland. I'd be down to go to Maryland. Yeah, I want to. I'd they uh, they got that they those sika deer there. Have you ever seen them things? I've heard of them and I've seen of them, but I've never seen one in the wild. No, they're like little miniature elk, miniature elk, elk deer. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. they make some like a roar, like a real screeching, high pitched thing, and they live in the swamps in there. I think we could kill them things. I think that'd be fun to go do to something different right. too. Um, I think we've kind of went through all the questions. We answered a whole bunch of them when we were just talking. Someone asked, "You've been out shining yet, Dan?" A little bit. Um, seen a couple good ones. Yep. I haven't been shining yet this year, but I'll probably go out, whatever, over the next month or so. Um, looking through some uh, some more stuff. I think we've been on here for an hour and a half now, so we probably just uh, wrap it up. We got a we got a conversation going on about the smoking in the tree stand, Danny. You ever were you ever a smoker? <laughs> When you're deer hunting, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, I never, I never smoked anything. So, um, me uh, either. I, don't, I, I never smoked cigarettes in my life, so um, I don't think it matters to, if you smoke in a tree stand or not. If they get downwind, they get downwind, and I don't think it's cigarette smoke they're scared of. I think it's I think the human predator order. Um, I think it's a myth that they're scared of cigarettes or that cigarettes have a stronger odor or something i think that if you're a human cigarettes are very evasive and you smell them from such a long distance i can remember walking through a swamp one day um right behind my house i was walking onto an island um and it's a little bit remote so you, you know you don't really run into people there too much mm -hmm. and uh i'm walking onto this island all of a sudden i hit this cigarette smoke you know, just like out of the blue. And immediately, instinctively, I just looked up in a tree and there's a guy up in the tree looking down at me and he actually jumped in his stand because <laughs> I, I turned and locked on him, but it was a cigarette smoke that gave him away. But I'm not a deer. To a deer, our smell is stronger than those cigarettes. I mean, it's just obnoxious to a deer, the way they yeah. smell. With, and, and they have a whole different system of smelling than humans. And people always want to compare how a deer smells to how a human smells. It's not, not even the same. They have a vomer nasal organ that separates odors. It separates the ingredients of odors. They don't smell like we do where you smell like a, a cherry cheesecake. They smell the cherries. They smell the, the, the flour. They smell the sugar. They smell the... the yeah. Uh, they, they separate every odor. And uh, they can break down the odors. And uh, it's the... Um, the predator order that I, I believe they're, they're keying on. And uh, if I can go on just a little further with that, tell you of some observations I had. One of them that I thought was really cool was I watched this feral cat. I would see it uh, on a daily basis when I was hunting in Iowa. It was hanging around in this one area. There wasn't a house around for quite a ways. So this cat was just kind of living out there. And I watched this cat one day walk past me and walk through this uh, open area and cross this little logging road and go into these trees. And I watch these deer come out in the hordes towards evening. And every deer that hit that cat's scent, scent trail came unglued 
I mean, snorting, running off, freaking, heads spinning around. And why are they afraid of a cat? Because it smells like a predator. Yeah. They kill meat, you know? I think that they instinctively don't like predator scent. Um, I don't necessarily think that cigarettes or uh, even like shop smell or oil or gasoline and stuff is that offensive. If gasoline is so offensive, how come when you park your ATV in a field, deer walk downwind of it and don't even care? You know how strong gas smells? They smell it. Yeah, right. Or you sit on that ATV and let them walk downwind and smell. When they smell you sitting on that ATV, then they're freaked out. Right. They walk around your cars in the parking lot. I've watched them. You know, I hunt by parking lots a lot, obviously. I talk about it a lot. I've watched deer walk right between the cars. They don't walk through those cars when there's a person in the parking lot. It's people they don't like. It's not necessarily cigarettes or, or the other stuff. I don't think cigarettes bother them. I think if they, they smell the cigarette, they smell you because you're you're right there too. Personally. Yeah. Uh, their so their odor is so strong, you know. Mm -hmm. Someone made a good comment uh, about about this in the chats here. He said, uh, I can't remember who it was, but he, he said that it's probably more of the your movement of smoking and like constantly moving and, well, you know, all that kind of stuff probably bothers him more than uh, the smell of it. Now, if you're playing the wind, right? Yeah, you know, um, you got guys that uh, will go on a vegetarian diet for six months before they hunt. You got guys that yeah. scrub their bodies clean and stuff. You know what? Just freaking watch the wind. You yeah. go out there and hunt. Kill mm -hmm. deer like you're supposed to. You know, like old school times, you know, downwind of them. You do the chess game, figure out how the deer is going, figure out what you got to do with the wind and stuff, and stop trying to, like, um, beat the system, beat the nose and stuff like that. You, you're never going to mm -hmm. beat that deer's nose. You're just not going to. Yep. In the woods is the guy that made, made the comment about the movement. But someone asked if I killed all these deer behind me in Ohio. I've killed none of these deer behind me in Ohio. They're all from uh, Indiana. I don't know. There's probably 15 or so of them in here, and I got a couple other ones, but uh, never killed deer in Ohio. I'm from I'm from Southern Indiana, and there's nice a lot of them. This year. Yeah, that one right there is from Wisconsin, but uh, there's probably a Kentucky deer up there. I don't know. There's there's uh, 15 or so up here. I'm still working on oh, yeah. Indiana deer. I don't have one of those. Yeah, I know. And there's a. Uh, a lot of them are public. Some of them are private too. I don't. I don't really know the the ratio, but yep. Yeah. I I'm probably don't have to uh, shoot an Indiana one. I could just take one off your wall, and I'll have it. Yeah, Indiana. sure. It might, yeah, uh, I don't have a very big house, and uh, I don't know what I'm going to do with them. I don't know what my strategy is going forward. Mounts keep getting ex more expensive and more expensive too. So, um, I got a whole bunch of them. You can't see them, but. They're back here in this corner. There's probably, I don't know, 10 European mounts. I've got mounted all together. I really like, kind of like that. I thought that's, um, I don't know how yeah, they do something like that. Them, you'll be putting up a shed like me to, to hold. Yeah, hang them in, in somewhere. Then I got to build a shed. So then you're, no, I got a decent barn. I just, I hate spending five or $600 on a mount and then putting it out in a barn. You know, it's like, um, but we'll see. I, these used to be all in my living room. And I, when I built this little studio in our back room, I put them all back here. Jay has uh, my, uh, my head done and I haven't even gone over and looked at it yet. Yeah. He's oh, from your, yeah, the big one. Yeah. Got my bear done too. I haven't seen either one. So I need to go over there. Why, uh, 
Why do you keep mounting them, Dan? I don't know, I like them. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm. I'm the same way. I always like some of them up there aren't real big, and I've always like ah, I'm like I want to mount it. Like I, it was a cool story. It's not the size of the buck, it's the size of the memory. Uh, I I know that's that's it. Um, and like to be truthful, like my uh, I have some European ones that are as big as some of the mounts, and I'm like. For some reason, I don't think about those as much just because they're not hanging on my wall, you know, uh, in deer form, I guess. It's just weird. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting because uh, I don't have them sitting right here in the house. So I might go to Jay's once in a year or so. Yeah. I don't really look at the heads a whole lot. And um, when uh, um, Exodus came over and did the, um, yeah. the crib yeah. go with me. Yeah, yeah. And we went through uh, the mounds. I remember looking at the bucks and thinking, when did I shoot that? I, you, you know, there's, there's bucks up there that were pretty big that I had to really think about when did I shoot that deer? You know, what mm -hmm. was the story behind that? I can't remember shooting that one. And it would come to me eventually. But there's bucks up there that are kind of small, actually, in most people's minds. You know, but when I mounted them, it meant a lot to me. Right. I look at those, and I can remember every freaking detail. And I can remember yeah. every freaking detail of the very first deer I shot. That was a button fawn. You know, mm -hmm. it's all about the size of the uh, hunt. It's not the size of the, you know, the mount or whatever. Um, yep. Oh, that's like this one, right? Right here. It's like a 110 inch eight pointer. Uh, but I crawled up on that thing in, in uh, its bed in the rain on public land and shot him laying in his bed. It's just like, I, like most people wouldn't would be like a not most people i shouldn't say that a lot of people would be like ashamed they were not even telling anybody they shot that deer but like i was like so proud of that hunt and, and i had to mount it uh but yeah i don't know i'm with you there i, I get the mount thing mine's just, is it going to be a space issue unless i just start laying in places um anyway the europeans right. are cool though too yeah they are yeah i got a bunch of europeans too i just uh um, especially when I was younger and I didn't have as much, you know, my income wasn't uh, as much and I couldn't, it's hard to drop five or $600 on something. Um, they ended up getting European mounted, but, uh, anyways, everybody, thanks for hopping on. There's over 200 people on night, which is awesome. Seems like, uh, no matter what we do, Dan, it's just people just like us on here BS and usually that's the ones that do the best. Um, it should be this so, should be a really fun show when it gets into hunting season and we're talking about the the week's events. Oh yeah, it'll be a, it'll be a blast because because me and Dan talk anyways during hunting season a lot, you know. So we're always strategizing or or uh, bumping things off each other. So maybe you guys will get a once a week at least hear that kind of stuff that goes around in our minds and um, our frustrations during the season. That'll be interesting too. I think a lot of people will be interested to hear that kind of stuff yeah uh it probably i'd say during hunting season it'll probably be all over the place i i are uh it'll either be later or it'll be uh just random nights whenever we can do it maybe it'll be midday or something we gotta get on but uh anyway when, you're getting, when are you leaving for the show are you leaving uh tomorrow or yep we are so my parents live in northern indiana uh my wife and my boy are going to stay up there and we're going to drive up there tomorrow night and then just, I'm going to spend the night at their house Thursday night. And then I'll head up, make the rest of the trip. I got to stop in Chicago and get my hats. I, I made a bunch. Of, oh, this isn't it. I don't have it here, but, um, I got a bunch of hats made to bring to the show and stuff. 
I got to stop the place that made them is in Chicago. So they're done. I just got to pick them up and then head back up there. Chicago. I know, I know, but it's the only way I get my hat sometimes. There's some song about when you go through hell, you don't slow down, you don't stop, right. you just keep going. Yeah, when you're going through hell, keep on that going. Ship you the hats, man. Well, uh, yeah, that was the plan, but they didn't get them done. The show, right? Yeah. Exactly. So don't get yourself killed there. Nah, I won't. I don't think it's in a bad part. Um, there ain't no such thing as a good part of Chicago. Yeah. It may not be Chicago. I can't remember the town, but it's up around Chicago. I know, though. It ran through my mind. I'm like, I don't want to stop there. Mostly because you may get off and get in some traffic and not be able to, you know, that's it's just a mess. But anyways, I got a lady to get up there. Stop in Gary and get some gas, too, in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. Yeah, I've uh, I've drove past Gary uh, needing to pee, pee pretty bad a few times trying to get to the next exit. But, uh, um I stopped there to get gas in the middle of the night once, and that'll never, ever happen again. Yeah. Yeah. It's a rough area. I think it's uh, not as bad as it used to be, but I think it's still pretty pretty rough. Um, it is what it is, though. All right, everybody. We're going to get off here, and we'll probably we'll probably see you actually this weekend. I don't know. We'll probably jump on here eventually this weekend. May have some other – may have some different guests. Maybe Mario will hop on with us or someone. Oh, like we might that, even Tim. see them all in uh... – Deerfest, man. Everybody's going, yeah. right? Yeah. I just jumping well, in their car and heading up, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, a fun a show. It's kind of like hang out and shoot the crap. I want to do one with just like the Beast know, Crew guys. Movie. Yeah. Um, well, you've never gone to the Deerfest one, have you? No, this will be my first year there. So. Biggest um, crowd is always around our booth just shooting the crowd. Yep. It'll be a good time. I'm excited. All right, guys. Talk to you later. Bye. Thanks, everybody.